Okay, so I want to start with a, a little video, kick us off with a little video. It's a bit dated. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm especially sensitive to uh, being dated, but I think it still holds, and it, was, it came out at a time when we were on the cusp of entering the moment that we now find ourselves in as a country. So let's watch this quick video and then I'll, we'll, we'll get going. All right, guys, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I am so thankful to have you all here today. I am thankful that I only burned the turkey a little bit. I'm sorry, gang. You know, I am thankful that our governor is not gonna let those refugees in here. Oh my God. You know, I heard the refugees are all ISIS in disguise. Oh, yeah, that's true. I actually saw an ISIS in the A&P today when I was picking up the yams. No, you didn't, Aunt Kathy. That was an Asian woman. You know what? I have a question for you. Why is it that your friends keep antagonizing the police? Why would you ask my boyfriend that? Well, I'm just trying to get to know Jamal. That's very confrontational. Oh, oh, oh. And she's a guest here. Excuse me. Hello. It's me. I was wondering. Oh, your grandparents are here. How was the flight? Oh, it was good. Good. I saw two transgenders at the airport. They still look kind of pretty. Very interesting trend, this. Oh, my God. Transgender is not a trend, Mr. Paul. And there weren't any around when I was younger. Yeah, they were there, but they couldn't say anything, so they lived sad lives and died. No, talking about... Oh, yeah. You are such a Okay, so that still holds up. 
right? I like that. And um, that was November 2015 that came out. That was two and a half years ago. You know, back when Ben Carson was, was still a presidential candidate, here we are two and a half years later, and that still feels uh, pretty current. You know, and, and I don't know if you have any um, conflict in your families. I have a good friend whose brother lives in Europe who now refuses to come home for family functions. They live, you know, the whole family lives in the States because he thinks that his, their, their parents might have possibly voted for Trump. And he won't come home. He, like, stays in Scandinavia, will not come home. Now, we live, in a, we live in divided times, right? People can't talk to one another about these things. I had a personal experience of this recently about, was that, two months ago, I was uh, in church on a Sunday morning. I had a bit of a cold. I was clearing my throat. I had to do the prayers. So in the Episcopal Church, we have this, you know, prayer and response thing we do. So I would get out the sentence, and then while the congregation did their response, I'd clear my throat because I knew at the end of that call and response section, there was a big paragraph I was going to have to say all at once, and I didn't want to be clearing my throat all the way through that. And so uh, the guy running the soundboard heard what was going on, started muting me during the response section. Then we got to the paragraph, and the very first thing we pray for every single Sunday is for our president by name. We pray, we pray for our, our president, Donald, the Congress, and the courts. But my mic went out, and my, I was checking my body pack. I was like, oh, that was weird. It must have cut out for a moment. Just kept on praying. And afterwards, uh, the, Nick, uh, the guy running the summer, ran up and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I knew you were clearing your throat. I was muting you. I thought you were going to do it again. So I muted you again right as you were praying for the president. And then during the offertory, I was in the narthex, which is the room at the back of the church. People were leaving because they thought you had made a political statement. They're like, what about, who, who is this guy, RJ, this left-wing nut job, RJ, not praying for our president by name? They were going to boycott communion for Trump. Now, um, there's a lot that could be said about that, right? First of all, the idea that you would boycott communion for any reason as if you're doing God some sort of favor by coming forth to receive his body broken and his blood shed is just, it's a crazy thing. But what a moment we're living in, and I assured him I was not making any political statement we got a few emails about it. It wasn't that big of a deal. It kind of blew over, thank God. But it was a little scary. What is tomorrow morning going to look like when I come into, into work? Are there going to be protests? Now, lest you think that the church that uh, Sarah and Jonathan and I work at is uh, insane, uh, also know that 25 years ago in 1993, uh, as uh, Bill Clinton was taking office and the first, first President Bush was going out of office, um, that first Sunday came up where we were going to have to pray for our president, Bill, and the priest didn't quite know what to do because Barbara and George were sitting there in the pew. They were attendees. And so he skipped it over. He just, he, he just prayed for our president, but not my name. And at the end of the service, Barbara Bush, in her wonderful Barbara Bush way, came up and said, you know, in no uncertain terms, you know, if you've prayed for George for the past four years, you sure as heck better pray for Bill for the next four and made sure that um, the president got all of our prayers, which whoever he or she might be, you know, they need our prayers. So we live in divided times. Um, you, you may have heard that recent uh, This American Life episode, which I think Aaron referenced at the conference in Texas called Words You Can't Say. It was about a, an ex-Mormon female YouTuber who did sex ed videos. 
But then she made the mistake of doing a video about why she was a feminist, and she got a lot of hate from the right wing. And then she made another mistake. She used an improper term that she thought was okay to use when she was talking about transsexuals. And suddenly from then on, whenever she showed up at college campuses, she was being protested by social justice warriors on the left-hand side. And so she found herself totally caught. There was, like, it was, there was nothing she could say that wasn't going to get her beaten up by one uh, corner of the, the political spectrum. There's so many things we can't talk about, right? So many words we can't say. Let me, let me name a few. Uh, guns, abortion, gender identity, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Trump, Mueller, Comey. I mean, just saying these words, it's scary even to say these words from up here. I, I'm like, I'm hoping these will be edited out or maybe the audio will be, uh, uh, you know, mysteriously go missing so this doesn't go out on the interwebs. How can we begin to talk about these things? But the first thing I want to say tonight is that, of course, this is not new. The division we're experiencing right now as a nation is nothing new uh, in the human experience, that people have a tendency to divide themselves. You know, Cain killed Abel. Israel and Judah split. Uh, I, for one thing, the Protestant Reformation was a very good thing, but they just went on dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. You know, just for fun this week, I looked up the Wikipedia page listing all the Baptist denominations. It goes on for quite a while. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're maybe a Presbyterian who's, who's like, well, thank God I'm not a Baptist, you know, remember that you've got the PCUSA, the PCA, the OPC, the EPC. Uh, in my own life, before I was in the Episcopal Church, for a few years I was in an alternate, an alternate Anglican jurisdiction which since I came back into the Episcopal Church had split, I think, twice in the last six years. Even within this ministry, Mockingbird, I got Dave's permission to talk about this. Right at the beginning, about 10 years ago, there was a real fierce debate about what kind of ministry we were going to be, whether we would be purely theological and just sort of, um, you know, post things by, uh, you know, um, anyway, Gerhard Forde all the time, or whether we were going to be more cult culturally based and talk about, uh, you know, movies and music. And, and, and it actually it caused some division between people in this room. And we didn't actually divide. We kept it together. But that was particularly striking because a lot of the people who were around at the very beginning had just come out of a really difficult seminary experience. You know, it wasn't about bananas, Sarah. It was actually about uh, justification by faith alone. It was about all the sorts of things we talk about here at, at Mockingbird, but a lot of us who uh, went to seminary together didn't, had a tough time. You know, I, I, persecuted is too strong a word, but we certainly weren't appreciated. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and sometimes we, oftentimes we gave as good as we got, and, and uh, we weren't always as conciliatory as we could have been. But here we are coming straight out of this difficult, divisive seminary experience, and we're going to start this new ministry where we're going to get to say exactly what we want to say in the purest way we can say it, and guess what? We find something to fight about. Surprise, surprise. So why do, why is, why do we do this? Why are people divided? Why do we find ourselves constantly divided? Well, the first thought, and it came to me a bit late, and Jonathan, I didn't write this talk in the cab. I wrote it on the airplane, of course. Uh, but the first thought which came to me is maybe 
Maybe this is kind of the way God wants it, actually. When you look in the Bible, the first great story of people being divided on a mass scale is the Tower of Babel. Right? They're building this tower, and God looks down and says, these people, if I leave them to their own devices, there will be nothing that they can't accomplish. And so he frustrates them, and that's sort of the origin story for the languages of the world. But it clearly is something that God does, and it's a strange story, because like, why would God do this? How is this a merciful act? But it occurred to me that uh, when pe- you know, maybe God wants us divided, because when people are united, they often do really awful things. They do really terrible things. You know, there's nothing better for a political leader's approval rating than dropping a few bombs, if you haven't noticed. Uh, so almost before we begin talking about uh, unity, just a reminder, you know, we should know this. People, are, as, as Aaron said, Christians are bad. People are bad. They're sinners. And unity is not going to solve that problem. In fact, at times, unity may exacerbate that problem. That when people get on the same page, they're capable of sometimes unspeakable evil. So that being said, uh, you know, we can't know the mind of God. And Jesus did pray that his followers would be one. So let's talk about some of the human reasons that uh, people, and especially Christians, are often divided. And the first is, uh, you know, as Freud said, the narcissism of small differences. Uh, The irony that it is often most difficult to get along uh, with those people with whom we share the most in common. Of course, the, the, you know, the Mockingbird example is a good one. But families are also a good one. You know, uh, Thanksgiving is a good one. Or spouses. That for some reason, we have a need for other people, you know, not just to agree with us 90% or 95%, but 100%. They have to agree with us on absolutely everything, which, of course, has to be all about our own insecurity about our need to self-justify, to say, I matter because I'm right. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, we were talking about AA, about Alcoholics Anonymous, which started here, by the way, if you didn't know that, pretty amazing story. And Dave mentioned that uh, one of the things he appreciates so much about AAers is how um, resistant they are to criticism, specifically the criticism that, uh, about the higher power thing you know, turning your life over to a higher power. And especially for people that are coming from a a more atheist perspective, they always kind of are putting down and condescending, belittling AAers because they need a higher power. But the great thing about AAers is that they just seem to shrug it off. It doesn't matter to them because for them, their higher power isn't about being right. It's not about their, their identity. It's not identity politics. It's about life and death. It's about simply what works. You know, I turn my life over to a higher power because when I did that, I got sober. It saved my life. I need this thing. But unfortunately, uh, most of us haven't had or don't want to admit that we've had or haven't taken the time to process uh, the kind of crash and burn experiences that might put to death our constant need to be right. You know, there's uh, something really beautiful about AA, about that, that... coming to the end of yourself, bottoming out, and then being part of a community where you're processing that. But most of us haven't gone through that, and so we find ourselves constantly needing to be right, uh, constantly needing to proclaim our own importance. So I think we could say that we are divided because we, we need to be right, and more than that, we need to be seen as being right in order to feel as though we matter, as though we matter. But even more than that, uh, 
we seem to have a real desire, even a hunger, for enemies, for something or someone to oppose, right? It is so much easier to be against something than to be for something. And Connor captured this beautifully in his uh, recent deconstruction post on the website, which got so much play. It kind of went viral. You know, it's easier to be against something than for something, and nothing unifies people like a common enemy. Oftentimes, if you uh, take away one enemy, as we did in seminary, we just create a new one. You know, when I was growing up, uh, it was all about the Russians. You know, if you're in your 40s, you remember all these movies about the atomic holocaust, and that was the fear. The Russians are coming to get us. And then in 1989, the, the wall fell, and suddenly that wasn't the boogeyman, and we had maybe five or 10 years of peace. And then we were on to the next enemy. We were on to um, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. I think deep down we actually love having enemies. Uh, We love being divided because somehow it's fertile ground for casual, unthinking unity. You know, if we have a a common enemy, enemy, we don't actually need to think about being unified in any kind of affirmative sense. Um, I have this great group of friends in Houston, pretty much none of whom are Christian, all of whom are, are somewhat left-leaning. And ha- honestly, having Trump as our president has been fantastic for our fellowship. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's easy. It's good for our relationships. Uh, but what if he weren't? I'm sure there are views that I have that aren't in the majority that wouldn't be popular, and it makes me anxious to think what might happen if we actually talked about some of those topics on which I know we wouldn't agree and on which they probably have pretty strong opinions. If you're more right-leaning, if you're a Trump supporter, my guess is you may feel the same way way about your group of friends, right? That it's easier to deride your common enemies, uh, whether it be, I don't know, Hillary Clinton or the FBI or the Justice Department or, or Comey Mueller, I don't know. Easier to deride your common enemies than to talk about what you actually affirmatively believe. And of course, we see this um, playing out in Congress right now. You know, that uh, the Republicans were pretty unified when Obama was president. You know, there there was that famous dinner at the beginning of his presidency where Ryan and McConnell and Gingrich got together and just decided to absolutely 100% oppose Obama no matter what. But now that uh, the right has control of the Congress and the presidency, they're struggling to get things done because now you've got the Freedom Caucus versus the old school and, and, uh, again, this narcissism of small differences. So all that is to say, I think we're divided because it makes superficial unity easier, right? As long as we're focused on the divisions in our midst, on our common enemies, uh, we don't need to actually talk amongst ourselves about uh, difficult topics. So what do we do about all this? Um, How do we address the divide we see in the world, in the church, in our relationships, Well, one option is maybe we just don't talk about it. Uh, There's a great uh, Bishop Salmon, a former Bishop of South Carolina, who seems to be like one of the great uh, Episcopalians of the 20th and 21st century. I just know people who knew him, who worked with him, uh, and I I spent some time with him, but not as much as I wished I had, but a wonderful, wise, loving man. He was pastoring a church in D.C. Uh, maybe five, ten years ago, and there were some real hot-button issues that were going around the church, that the potential to divide the church. And so one year at the 
uh, all parish meeting. This is an annual thing in the Episcopal Church where you, you give sort of a, a, it's a state of the union address for the church. But he was so self-confident, so wise, he actually wouldn't prepare anything. He would just stand up in front of his congregation and say, okay, shoot, tell me, what do you want to talk about? Which seems highly unadvisable. But, uh, but he, he could pull it off. And this one angry person got up and said, you know, when are we going to talk about, and I'm not going to name the issue, but when are we going to talk about this issue? When are we going to figure this out? And Bishop Salmon said, we're not. Do you want to tear this church apart? At which point, everyone in the congregation rose to their feet and loudly applauded. You're like, yes, let's not talk about this. Let's focus on what unifies us rather than what on, uh, on what divides us. Even in our marriages, uh, you may have unbroachable topics. Uh, for my wife and I, it's Google Maps versus Apple Maps, you know? <laughs> Google Maps is clearly superior. I can say that because she's not here and will never listen to this talk. Uh, she's hoping we can find common ground in ways. That's not going to happen. Uh, but even if it does, you know, Google owns ways, so I win. Uh, but sometimes there are just topics in your marriage, hopefully they're as frivolous as which mapping program you use that you just don't really want to talk about because you know it's going to get people's backs up and you'd, you'd rather, you know, have sex sometime. Um, here's what a certain Paul F.M. Zoll writes in his book, Grace and Practice. The first paragraph of his chapter uh, grace in society, and this subheading is grace in politics, talking about not talking about it. In the Christian tradition, theologians who stress grace have tended to be apolitical. This is because they have understood political action as a function of the law. Political action, in other words, seeks change that can be measured. Political action stems from the idea that political and social change can make a lasting difference in the world. Political action operates out of a higher anthropology than most theologians of one-way love have been able to support. In other words, this idea that people are, are good, what I talked about the Tower of Babel before, that if we could just all get together, we would accomplish great things. Theologians of one-way love have always tended to be more passive, passive, and less hopeful regarding human agency than others who stress human participation in the improvement of the world. In other words, we, we put our faith in Jesus, in God and not in ourselves. There is definitely a leaning toward passivity and what is sometimes called quietism in the theology of grace that underwrites this systematic approach to everyday life. So all that is to say, inaction, not talking about it, quietism is an option. And it may be the wisest option. It may be the safest option. How does Paul deal with division? Let's talk about that. Before we do that, actually, let's talk about Jesus a little bit. Uh, it's stunning the degree to which Jesus refuses to engage the hot-button issues of his day. Stunning. Of course, there's that famous story where, uh, you know, a Jew brings up a coin with Caesar's face on it and says, should we pay taxes or not? The subtext being, who do you support? Our Jewish nation or the Romans, whose side are you on? Take a side. We're divided. We want you on one side of this divide. And Jesus famously answers, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. He completely uh, 
diffuses the question. Or how does he handle conflict between his disciples? I, I was actually looking it up this week. There are so many times, there's like 10 different times when the disciples are arguing about which of them is the greatest. 10 different times. And Jesus' response is always, uh, look at this little child. I love that in the Adele video, who is it? It's the little child. A little child shall lead them. Who's like, come on, guys, it's Thanksgiving. Can we stop fighting about stuff that doesn't matter and just sing Adele together instead? (laughs) He says, look at this little child. Whoever welcomes such a child in my name shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. Or he, he also gives some variation of the last will be first and the first shall be last. Your whole conversation about who is greatest, about power, this thing that's dividing you, it just doesn't matter. Or when John, the apostle John, comes to him complaining that someone else is casting out demons. Jesus, someone else is casting out demons, someone we don't know. Is this okay? Go tell him to stop. And what does Jesus say? Whoever is not against you is for you. He has this wonderful way of completely shifting the debate. Or I think about the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? Which is a parable about division in our world, about uh, God coming and sowing this wheat, and then the devil coming in and sowing these tares, and the, the gardeners come to the master and they say, should we, just, should we you know, go in there and rip out the tares? And the master says, no, because if you rip up the tares, you're going to mess it up and you're going to rip up the wheat also. Just wait. Just wait. Uh, when the time comes at the end, God will do the harvesting and he will separate things out. He'll make the decisions. You know, I think of what Paul says in Romans, uh, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the the wrath of the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That it's not actually our responsibility to figure stuff out. That we're not going to be very good at deciding what's good and bad. So Jesus is sort of saying, "Let, let God take care of it. So again, inaction may be an option. That being said, what does Paul do? Well, the first thing we have to say is that, uh, There was tons and tons of division in the early church. We need to get away from our idealization of what things looked like right after Jesus, you know, was resurrected. We always, you know, we love that passage in Acts chapter 2 where all the believers had everything in common. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by, you know, they they, um, divided their, their money between them. And day by day, the Lord was adding to the number of those who were being saved. That is the only paragraph that is anything like that in the entire Bible, you know, and it, it, it doesn't last. What does happen in uh, Rome and Corinth and Galatia and Colossae is people find things to fight about. And if we think that the issues uh, which divide us today are a big deal, they are like nothing, nothing, all caps, nothing compared to what Paul was dealing with. Right, Jewish Christians had been observing the law for centuries, for generations. It was absolutely central to their identity that affiliation with a political party just never could possibly be. It's much more deeply rooted than anything we could imagine. Uh, I looked again at Genesis chapter 17. Here's what God says to Abraham about circumcision. You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It's pretty clear 
right? Get circumcised or you're out. And now here Paul is saying, to quote Galatians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything. It's nothing. It does not matter what your parents told you, what your grandparents told you, what your great-grandparents told you, generation after generation after. It does not matter. All that matters is faith in Jesus and what he has done for you. So this message causes some conflict. It causes some division. How does Paul deal with that division? Well, we shouldn't be surprised to see that there are some issues on which Paul absolutely refuses to budge. Really one issue on which he will not be moved, and that is justification by faith alone. Right? The doctrine with Luther said on which the church stands or falls, that there is nothing but faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus that gets our sins forgiven and counts towards eternal life. Nothing more, nothing less, no one else, just Jesus. But when it comes to many, many other dividing issues, uh, Paul seems to take another kind of surprising tack. Here's what he wrote, writes in uh, Romans chapter 14. And I love this. I think it is so instructive for the age in which we find ourselves. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld. They will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in the honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. I find that so surprising, so liberating, so uh, gracious, so wise, so unexpected. And I think uh, there's one image from this week which perfectly captures the essence, or maybe not perfectly, almost perfectly, captures the essence of Paul's uh, message in this passage. And can we put up that image? Do you guys see this? Been blowing up Twitter. That's Kanye West with a Make America Great Again hat on. It got a lot of commentary. It got a lot of retweets. 
Our president enjoyed it. Here's what Kanye wrote to go along with this picture. You don't have to agree with Trump, but the mob can't make me not love him. We're both drag and energy. I like that. <laughs> Either that or tiger blood. Tiger blood, drag and energy, both and. He is my brother. I love everyone. I don't agree with everything anyone does. That's what makes us individuals. And we have the right to, ind and we have the right to independent thought. Now, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one correspondence, but I think, I actually kind of think that Kanye there and Paul in Romans chapter 14 are saying the same thing, which is stop judging and start loving. Let each be fully convinced in their own minds. Leave each other alone. Now, whether Kanye and Trump are acting out of a desire to honor the Lord, as Paul talks about, is another question. And that's one that we as Christians need to answer uh, for ourselves with regard to our own actions, is the way that we're acting uh, out of a desire to honor the Lord. But that's something to think about ourselves, not about them, not to project onto other people, and not to other Christians. I think the thing that's so striking about Paul's uh, teaching is that it seems, it seems relativistic, right? Whatever you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. Whether you eat or don't eat, celebrate the Sabbath, don't celebrate the Sabbath, whatever you do, do it to the honor of the Lord. That's what matters. Let each be fully convinced in their own minds. So is this relativism? Maybe, but I would say mostly no, that what it actually is, is its acceptance and tolerance, which flow from humility and faith and love. You know, there's that, is it Romans 12 or Romans 13, which begins, um, uh, conform no longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I kind of hate that passage or that beginning of the passage because I feel like it's telling me to be better than I am and I struggle to do that. But then he goes on immediately to say, for by the grace given to me, I urge you uh, to not think as highly of yourselves as you do, but to think of yourselves with sober judgment. So when Paul is talking about being uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds, he's not talking about morality. He's talking about humility. He's talking to arrogant, self-righteous, I want my own way. I'm better than him. Let's make a little faction and start a little fight. And he's saying, give me a break. You're all a disaster and you know it. Be humble. See yourselves as you are. And then he goes on to talk again about acceptance and tolerance and non-judgment, which again flow from humility and faith. You know, I heard someone, and I'm not an AA'er, I wish I was, but someone once said that if you're an AA and you feel the need to change someone else, it actually is taken as a sign of lack of faith because you don't believe that God could do the work. You think you have to do it. I find that incredibly convicting. I can't change it. I can't even change myself. Are you kidding me? How could I possibly change another person? So it flows from humility, faith, and then at the end of the day, love. Love for God, love for our neighbor. And let me say, Paul does have very firm convictions about what actually matters. Keeping the Sabbath doesn't matter. Keeping kosher doesn't matter. Getting circumcised doesn't matter unless you're putting your faith in that thing. 
But what does matter to him again is love, is grace, is faith in Jesus to work things out, to justify us. As he, I love how he says this. God is faithful and able to make us stand no matter what we believe about these things. No matter whether we're a Sanders supporter or a Trump supporter, pro-gun, anti-gun, pro-life, pro-choice, God is able to make us stand. I love that. Let me just read the end of this chapter and then we'll stop. And this is the famous uh, do not cause your brother to stumble passage, which as we all know, if we were in youth work, is only ever brought up to encourage uh, teenage girls to wear one-piece swimsuits. Uh, (laughs) And that's not what he's talking about. So put that out of your mind. And now hear this. This is right where we picked up, or left off, I should say. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another. That feels like freedom, actually, doesn't it? I sort of feel like it's my responsibility to judge other people sometimes, to hold them accountable. I don't really want to. Sometimes I do. <laughs> Let us no longer, uh, therefore, pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another, a.k.a. don't pick fights. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. I can eat anything. I can do anything. I can celebrate anything. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat or what you proclaim politically or whatever cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink or Democrat or Republican, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us, this is so good, let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Gosh, my mom is here. (laughs) It reminds me. I'm one of four boys. And if you have sons, you know that they're constantly just like, and she was, we'd be in the car making fun of each other, saying terrible things. And she'd be in the front going, why do you guys always have to tear each other down? Why can't you build each other up? You know, and uh, that's where this came from, mom. Uh, Let pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food or politics, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fail by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith you have, have as your own conviction before God. Your own conviction. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I just love that. Let's release one another. Let's release uh, the need to judge, to hold accountable. So let me just recap a few of the things that Paul has said. And say one more thing and then we're going to pray and be done. Here's what Paul says. Do not judge. Let each be fully convinced in their own mind. Whatever you do, do it to the honor of the Lord and trust that others are doing the same. Pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And the faith you have, 
Have as your own conviction before God. Don't enforce it on someone else. Don't cause someone else to stumble because of uh, your need to be right, your need to self-justify. We do live in a divided world, in a divided church, but I think if we can keep those teachings somewhat in mind, keep that in mind that God is in control and not us, uh, then maybe we can find a little bit more peace. Maybe we could actually, well, I don't know, maybe we could talk about a few of these things. It makes me really, really nervous. I certainly will not talk with you about any of them, (laughs) but uh, maybe you guys have the courage to engage with someone who trusts in Jesus but may not agree with you on some other things and to find some common ground in your faith in Christ. And as I close, I'll just remind you once again of what um, Augustine of Hippo said. And you've probably heard this before, but it is so helpful. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, charity. By the grace of God, let's strive for that. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I know that there are lots of people here with uh, lots of different thoughts about what's going on in our world. Lots of different topics about which they hold very strong convictions. I pray, Lord, that uh, nothing would ever come above our allegiance to you. And that we would uh, not be scared to embrace uh, other people who bear your name, other Christians, simply because they may not agree with us about earthly things. Lord, I thank you for Paul's words. I thank you that he spoke into the midst of extreme division, extreme animus. And I thank you for the, um, the wisdom, uh, the inspiration, the way your Holy Spirit uh, speaks to us through him today. Uh, Lord, let us each be fully convinced in our own minds and by your grace, help us not to judge one another. Pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.